Father, we thank you for this night that you've blessed us with. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to, to open up your word, the book of Nehemiah. Lord, I know that uh, you tell us your word would never return void. So even in the midst of just a few, God, we trust that your word will not return void. Lord, I know as I prayed through this and as I prepared this message, I know it was for me, and I pray, Lord, that as I deliver it tonight, it would be for your children as well here that are here to worship and serve you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask that you use this time to, to fill us and to empower us, and Lord, to transform our lives more into the image of Christ, Lord, that we might be witnesses not only... Lord, in this church, but in our communities and our daily lives. And so this morning, we just ask, Lord, that you fill this room with your presence. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, I don't know if you have ever wondered, but you ever noticed how life is full of different perspectives? Um... In most things that take place in our life, we can view them from a different perspective. And so you could do something as a person from a genuine heart, uh, with sincerity, with, with love, and, and, and all of those things, and still could be viewed in a negative sense. Well, tonight I want to take a look at perspective. I, I, I titled this sermon... Um, Having a proper perspective, okay? Because tonight we're going to look at a perspective that I think Nehemiah had that we should all be encouraged to have as believers and followers of Christ as well. Especially in the society in which we live in today. In our day, people can focus on wrong things. Let's just say that... uh, that someone you knew had just borrowed a new car and uh, they were kind of excited about it and you wanted them to drive it and so they started driving it all over town and, and we're here at the church and we're waiting for them to come back into the parking lot so you can see your new ride show up and somebody else comes back and reports that uh, your brand new car just got in an accident downtown. And... Really, you could ask two questions at that point. You could ask, how was the person driving the car? Or you could ask, how was the new car? Is it messed up? Or, you know. There's really two different perspectives that we encounter there. Neither of them are wrong, are they? I mean, both of them are good questions. I want to know what's going on. I mean, if you drive my Jaguar, that to me, it's a brand new car. And you wreck it, I, I want to know how bad the damage is on the car as well as I want to know if the person was injured. So there's really nothing wrong with the question, but what we see is an order of, in which we asked. And so it would be vital for understanding what's important to us. And so if that, that person pulled up or someone reported and we asked, how's the car show that we care a little bit more about the car than we do the person, or we would have asked first about the person. And so if they were to ask first, 
how in the world is my car, then you'd know what was going on. But you know, one question that I get as, as a pastor a lot is, how's the church doing? And, and really, to, to justify that answer is difficult. Now, how do we justify whether the church is doing good or not? Because really, as we look at that question, there's different perspectives in which we can address that with. Does that fact that I say, yeah, we had 300 people Sunday, does that make the church do good? Well, does it make it a great church? Where are, what, what are all the people doing uh, here on Sunday? Maybe uh, one of the answers and how we determine whether it's good. How is giving? Is, is giving up or is giving down? All of those are different ways we can try to understand and address whether the church is being successful, but the reality is, is we come with different perspectives. What I may look and see as a healthy church, you may look and not be much concerned about that. And so what we're going to look at tonight in these three short verses is going to be how to have a proper perspective. So if you will, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And I want to start with just a few questions. Question number one is, what are some of the problems, and you can feel free to answer these out loud, what are some of the problems in this culture that, that you may be mostly concerned with? Anybody? What is one problem that our culture has that concerns you? Nicole? Abortion. That's a great concern. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am? Okay, God being removed from everything. In the public schools and in the courthouses, and we have a, a government that seems to be anti-God. Let me ask you the second question. How would you measure this, this evening, if I were to ask you on a, Z, on a scale from 0 to 100, how is your prayer life? Zero being you never pray at all. 100% you pray all the time like an hour a day. Let's just say that's a good number, an hour a day. Although the, the men of faith back in the day used to pray five, six hours a day. You read their books, you feel like you're not really even a Christian. So where would you put that on a scale? Jot that in your mind. I don't want to hear where you're at. Because the reality is, is I, I pray every day, but I, you know what? I could pray a lot more. Third question, how do you respond when you receive bad news about people? What is it? How is it that you respond when you receive some type of bad news about people? And the last question I want you to think about, and you can jot those answers down in your notes, is when you are going through hard times in your lives, when difficult things of life come up, what do you expect from your families and friends? What is it that you expect from your family and friends. So, let's think about those questions, because I think that we're going to find throughout this study of the book of Nehemiah, that, that some of these questions will be talked about in the life of Nehemiah. 
Let's just jump right into these three verses tonight. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, reads this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Sheslev, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the providence whom survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So there are a few things that I want us to look at in this text tonight that I think will help us understand the setting of this book, the beginning. Three things I want you to grasp. Number one is that we see the person of Nehemiah. We see the person of Nehemiah. Secondly, we see the potential of Nehemiah. We see the potential. And thirdly, we see the perspective of Nehemiah. So let's begin by looking at the first one, which is number one, we see the person of Nehemiah. You know, unlike our day, back in those days, most names that were given to people were given with a purpose, were given with a specific reason behind their name. Their names represented something in their life in which God wanted them to do or, or was going to do in them and through them. And many don't know, but, but I tried to name all my kids with specific meanings. And I think it does happen a lot in our culture. But I don't know if it happens in a biblical sense. You know, I, I mean, I, I remember when I was in Montana, I went to church with a family who had three boys. And they named the first one Bo. They named their next one Arrow. And they named, there was four of them. And they had another one named Gunner and another one named Hunter. Now, wh- what do you think they were communicating? They're outdoorsmen, you know. They like hunting. Well, when I named my kids, I, I tried to, to figure out a name that, that I could encourage them as they grew up. And so Hunter was my first one. And then I had a TV show, a hunting show, and people used to say, you named your son Hunter because you like hunting. Well, that's not really why I named him that. I named him Hunter because when he gets older, I want him to understand that I want him to grow up to hunt lost souls for Christ. Okay? And so that's why I named Hunter that. And then Josiah, well, he was a good king in the Old Testament. And so I desired for my son in the midst of a time where there may be bad kings and bad rulers and bad leaders in a, in a nation or in the world, that he could be a good leader one day. And then my son Elijah, well, I was sitting under Dr. Carl Brogan. He was preaching a message on the prophet Elijah. And I was looking at my wife and I said, I really like that name. What a, what a great prophet, a great example, a man that, that lived by faith. And, and I, want, I want him to grow up to live by faith. And so we also see names throughout the Bible in which are expressed through those things. And so we see a man named Moses. Everybody's heard of Moses. Well, it means in the, in the Hebrew, it means taken out or drawn forth. Now, it just so happens, what do we find in the book of Exodus? Well, the, the, the Hebrew word for Exodus, or Exodus, means to exit out from. And so we see a, a, a great picture of a name. And then Paul, 
you know, his name was Saul prior, but God said, now your name is Paul. It means small. It means tiny. Why? I don't know. But maybe it was God wanting him to understand that in his own ability, in which he tried to be this big man, as he tried to be this, this, this self-serving man, as he tried to, to be high among the sect and the, the Pharisees and, and all of those people, God's saying, now, you're small and you're tiny, but with me, you're big. And then we come across an, a man by the name of Nehemiah, which is our God at night. Means comforted by Yahweh. Now, while I don't know the exact reason behind the name Paul and the name Nehemiah, we're going to see that this leader, as we study through this book and look at it, is going to need the comfort of the Lord in order to be a good leader. He's going to go through a lot of junk. And so we see there in verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now, Ezra, in writing this book, I believe which I do believe Ezra wrote this book because most scholars agree that Ezra and Nehemiah were one book that had been separated, divided up into two different books, and so Ezra would be the author of both books. But Ezra is going to clear up any confusion of just who this Nehemiah is because just like in our day, listen, there's a lot of Raymonds out there. there there's a lot of Marks. There's probably a lot of Virgils, maybe not as many. There's probably quite a bit of Stuarts. But, but, but Ezra is going to clear up any distinction between some other Nehemiah. And so he makes it clear that this is Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And so, who is he? Who is Hakaliah? Well, we, we don't really, I think he's in, you know, he's listed one more time in the book of Nehemiah. But we don't see him anywhere else in the Old Testament. So we don't know much about Hakaliah. But we do know it's his father. And so there's this clarification He's clearing up any confusion that might have been as to who it was that the Lord was going to use to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so with this, this person, Nehemiah, recorded, he's a cupbearer in which he's going to, we're going to read about in the next part of this verse in which we'll see in the, in the time frame here. But it says this, in this verse it says, Now it happened in the month of... Shizlev, in the 20th year, while I was in Sus, Susa, the capital. Here we come across two things that I think will be helpful for us to get. And the first one is Shizlev. What in the world is Shizlev? Now, as I studied this, obviously I didn't know the answer. I had to look and dig and, and try to understand and grasp what it means. Well, it's the ninth month on the Jewish calendar, which puts it around November, December. Okay, that's what... That's what it means. It's the month of November, December. And by the way, that's four months before Nisan, which is March and April, when Nehemiah asked permission from the king to go back and to help rebuild Jerusalem. And so we have the person, Nehemiah, this cupbearer. We have the date, as we're told, it's November, December, in the 20th year, during the reign of King Artaxerxes. And then lastly, in this first verse, we're told of a place. Nehemiah was in Susa, the capital. Now, what's important about Susa? Well, I think it gives us a great picture of the environment in which Nehemiah was living in. Uh, this place, I want you to understand, was nice. It was a, a high-dollar capital city. 
And Nehemiah was really living at large in this city as a cupbearer. But that didn't change who Nehemiah was. And so we see the person. And secondly, we see tonight, we see the potential of Nehemiah. Nehemiah as a cupbearer was looked upon with, with high regard. And really this position was a prestige position. It wasn't just like, okay, dude, you're the cupbearer. You're going to come and drink this cup. It, it came with respect. It came with authority. It was a, a prestigious position brought about, which brought about influence into the culture, into the community, in the royal courts, in those he served in this position. And he was, though a cupbearer, Though an influential man, though in a prestigious position in a very nice capital city, he was made for something bigger and better. And so we see there in the first part of verse 2 that that Hananiah, one of the brothers and some of the men from Judah, came. Now the first thing that we find out in this passage is the fact that that Nehemiah has a brother's. Now I asked the question before we started, when you're going through hard times in your lives... What do you expect from your family and friends? Anybody got any answer? What is it do you expect from your families and friends? Compassion. Support. A, a, a phone call. Yeah. I mean, it could be simple as a fo- encouragement. Yeah, call me on the phone encourage me. Money. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's real. Help. I just put, I put help because help's kind of free. You, got, you help me with money. You help me with a car. You can help me scratch my back, rub my back, rub my neck, take me to church, put gas in my car. It, it kind of covers it all. Now let's just think about what's been given to us here in just this first verse and a half. We've just been given the month of November and December. Shizlev. But what does November and December bring? It might not seem like that much here, but coming from Montana, what happens in Montana in November and December? It's cold weather. It snows. Well, let me tell you, I've been to Israel. I've been to Ukraine. I've been on that part of the the earth. And during those months, it's cold. And so it brings cold. We've just been given the place, the capital city, Susa, And now we're told that Nehemiah's brother and some other fellows from Judah come. Where do they come from? Judah. They come from Judah all the way to Susa. Now, why did they come? Now I'm going to ask the question, what would you do if you were in need and you, what would you expect from your family? You would expect help. Now, Nehemiah, they knew that Nehemiah had potential. He was God's man for this job that he was about to do. He was working for the king. He had favor with him. His job brought about uh, this best opportunity. These men uh, felt that, that he could help fix the problem. And while they knew they, they couldn't fix it, they saw potential in this man, Nehemiah. These, understanding these dudes didn't have a bus, okay? 
They didn't have a covered vehicle. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to get in their car and cut on their heat. They walked. And so, these guys were a long ways from home. And so, I did some research to find out just how far it was from Judah to the capital city of Susa. And it's about 800 miles. Now, let's put that into our terms that we can understand because I don't have a PowerPoint. I got a PowerPoint, but I don't have a PowerPoint operator, so we don't have PowerPoint. But let's put it into a perspective in which we can grasp and understand. Let's just say we left here in Hardyville and we walked to St. Louis, Missouri. That's 812 miles. Now, all of these details that, that have been given in just these first few verses really help us understand the desperation that these Jewish people were in. They knew God could raise a man up that would care for him. And the prophets even told us previous that, that, that one would be raised up that would care. Let me ask you this. What potential do we have this morning in God raising us up to do things for his kingdom? Hey, listen, we got a small group of people here tonight. But let me tell you what. I think God can use a small group to impact lots of people. When we're in trouble, who is, who is it that we run to? Because I want you to understand this morning, I think we all have our own Nehemiahs in our lives. As a matter of fact, I called on a Nehemiah today going through a difficult time with some things, and I called on them. And they didn't let me down. They helped me out. They took care of me. These folks were family. And Hannah and I went to his source for help, which was his older brother, or brother. I don't know if he was older brother. But I believe the Lord sent him there, and it was there that we begin to see how much potential Nehemiah had. And so they walked this long way. I, I checked it out too. It's 258 hours walking time. You know, you can go to Google Maps, you can print it out, and you can put the little guy walking and tell you how long it would take you to walk. It's 258 hours. Now, if you divide that in 24 hours, that's 10 days. Over ten and a half days, 10.75 days. Now, look here tonight. Look at the empty seats. I asked you a question earlier, what are some of the problems in our culture today? One of the problems that I'm concerned with in our culture today is that the desire people have to serve the Lord is not very much. It's Wednesday night. And we have a great facility with lights. We even got AC now. And look at all the empty seats. Now, we don't fix our eyes on the empty seats because we worship a God who's in control of filling these seats. But one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is being with people of God. That isn't, that doesn't seem to be important anymore to them. Being with the people of God doesn't seem to be important in our culture anymore. 
fellowship with brothers. Listen, I need this time with, with Mark and Raymond and Virgil and with the ladies. My wives need women time and kids need kid time. It's a great time to, to grow and to encourage one another and to build each other up and to say, hey, man, I'm going to pray for you this week. But in our culture, it's not really that important anymore. God has given us a potential. And we see the need and the importance of trying to fix the problem in which lays in our culture. And we're about to see Nehemiah face his problem, his concerns, and his people. God has given us potential. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to faithfully live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ at whatever the cost. And Nehemiah was a leader, and he's going to show us just what that is. The sacrifice of living in Susa as a cupbearer with this influential position and all of this prestige and this power that he had. We're going, to de- we're going to see him do whatever it takes, whatever the cost is, to be about what God wants him to do. I don't know about you, but I long to be a, a good leader like Nehemiah. I, I, I long to help rebuild the walls of people in the church of Jesus Christ, in our county, in our country, and in America. Not the building, the people. We live in a nation this evening that's calling sin good, evil good. And we need some leaders in our nation and in the body to show their potential. Because listen, people are looking for help. They're not here to hear it. But we can be here to learn and to grow so that we can be there to encourage and to help them and invite them in here. To be a part of growing. We live in a time when, when people won't even drive their cars 15 to 10 minutes away in the heat or the AC. So that the walls of their life can be rebuilt. So that their marriages can be renewed. So that their kids can grow lo- closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, so that addictions in their lives can be broke. We won't leave the comfort of the couch To swap out for companionship with Christians. Our cities, our homes, yes they may look good on the outside, but the walls of morality in America are broken. The cities of this country may be captivating to our eyes. We may see them and and just stare at them and look. I mean, I've never been to New York City. But I've been to Atlanta. and, And walking down those streets, you just look at the cities that grow. And they're captivating. The conviction of the Holy Spirit and the people who have claimed to be Christ are dull on their ears tonight. And we need to be the leaders. We need to be the ones that are the Nehemiahs. Because there's people in the body of Christ that have been beaten and battered and in need of rebuilding. And that's what I hope that we get through this book of Nehemiah. To, to get that kindling, to be rebuilt. You know, I, there's a lot of things that have taken place in this church. 
And there are many people I know that need the rebuilding up of their spirit tonight. And my hope is that we can do that. And so we see the person of Nehemiah. We see the potential of Nehemiah and the life of this leader. And lastly, we see the perspective of Nehemiah. How is it that we perceive things in life? The way we perceive things in life tells us about a lot who we are. The things we think about. The things that captivate our minds. Nehemiah had a right perspective. These folks had come from Judah. And here in verse 2 it says, And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. Now, what I want us to get here, because it's important the fact that Nehemiah got his order right. He has a right perspective. Nehemiah asked what? About what first and then what? He asked about the people and then he asked about the city. Can't we learn a lot from that today as leaders and followers of Christ? You see, the city needed to be rebuilt. We know that it was being built because Zerubbabel prior and Ezra had already been doing so. But Nehemiah's first concern is with the people, not the place. And how much more should that be our concern today? They need the city and the walls to protect from invasion, to protect from the temple mount. This is where they worshipped. It wasn't like us today where we can come in and celebrate and worship God. They had to have that temple mount so that they could worship God the way He had instructed them. But where's the temple today? We're the temple. We're the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, in that you are not of your own? We are the temples of God tonight. We are doing destructive things to the walls of our own life when we sin. We break down walls when we sin with our eyes and with our minds. We break down walls when we fail to forgive other brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the temple. And the walls of Christians are falling down all around us. Marriages are shattering. Relationships are crumbling. And the word of God is being distorted more now than it ever has before. And we let... And false teachers into the walls of our lives for sometimes emotional experiences and enjoyment when it comes down to it, we're just breaking down another brick. Just breaking down another brick of the wall in which God has placed there to protect us. It's not the place that we worship tonight. This school can burn down. We saw it in town here recently. That church burnt down. And, and they pitched a tent, and there you go. They worshipped. And so it's, it's not about the place. It's about the person. While the place is nice, it's the people that matter the most. And Nehemiah got it, and he understood it. And it says, verse 3, They said to me, The remnant there and the providence who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broke down, and the gates are burned with fire. I couldn't help but think about America. 
I could not help but think about America and oh, how once upon a time this great nation was great. Why? Because it was involved with God. We talked about it. You, 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 you expressed one of the problems. Our walls as a nation have fallen down and people are in great distress and reproach. America, the church, our gates are wide open for sin to walk right in and there is no protection. And so the question is, why is it that we've walked away from God as a nation? America, we've taken God out of schools. God's been removed in every venue. It's Him. It's God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ in which our walls are protected. And this we fold for a freedom of expression with ideas. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to have abortions. It's okay for us as a nation to drive ourselves into debt that we can never pay back. Because this will save us, is what the world will tell us. While yet the more we're breaking down the walls of protection in our own lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of some of it. I'm guilty of doing it myself. And while we do, and we're breaking down our walls, John 10, 7 to 10 says this, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. You know, when I read here in this passage that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned, I, I remember standing at those gates in Jerusalem. Those gates are for protection. And while America may drop the walls and they may burn down their gates, you and I are the temple of God. And Jesus says He is our door. He's our protection. He's our provider. Nehemiah had a right perspective. He knew, and we will see and find out later, that it is God that is the protector. And until the people of God begin to follow the Lord in obedience, we will walk around with broken walls and burned up gates as a nation and as a people and even as a church. He knew that the people would change the city would be protected. It would find its protection through God. It's the people first, then the place. And so I have to end with this question. How about us? Where's our focus? Is it the place or is it the people? Is it the church or is it the flock of God? I believe God wants us to be people-focused. Because God changes lives with spiritual healing, that's when revival comes. And so we have to be ready to get invested in the people's lives and begin to be that Nehemiah for them. Encourage them. We can't make them come Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, but we can sure encourage them to come. We can do our part in being Nehemiahs in the lives of people. And when that comes, 
become an everlasting effect in the church.